We're not talking about politics on this. This, this is not. We're 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 gonna get away from. I'm not the Ramaswamy tsunami. Here. I'm not even talking about politics. <laughs> are you talking about the I'm talking about the, the tidal waves of emotion that are gonna roll over your taste buds when? Yes. When you give me that lime, you get a new peach, orange blossom, non-out white claw on your hands. Fuck yeah! I already had the lime use; it was good. Okay, black cherry cranberry. All right, number three. This is the last one of the night. My favorite so far, to be honest, the peach. Oh, dude. I fucks with that. That that tastes just like the the black cherry, alk one. Tastes just like it. Yeah. No, they've done a really good job of matching the mouth feels. I feel like. I, here's the thing though, dude. Like I would, I would drink these, if they didn't have any sweetener. Yeah. You know, I would. I would. Mm, would I? I think I, I would uh, at least once. I don't know that I would buy these like on the rag. I guess that sweetener gives it a little bit of value. It's hard to it's hard to pay. It's hard to pay a lot for. Just what was a, your a twelve crack. pack? What that cost? Yeah, accessible, sixteen bucks for twelve. Yeah, I mean that's what you would pay for the like the Alk ones, right? Yeah, but. You could say but then you a get bit a buzz with the value mm. of the Alk ones. I mean, depending on how you perceive value, I guess. But I don't know. I like it. Well, hopefully, Mark Anthony Brands gets their head out of their ass and signs us up for a fucking sponsorship. Yeah, because <laughs> we are bringing home the bacon, baby. Yeah. Should we do a show? Mm-hmm. See about it. Yeah. Okay. And we were are going to talk about <coughs> this study in the the context of the the new plant based propaganda Netflix movie. You are what you eat. Have you watched it? I did watch it. Oh, I haven't watched it. Well, I watched some of it, <laughs> and um. <coughs> And I got some takes from people I trust on the rest of it. <laughs> I love it. Okay. Uh, so I got, how much of it did you watch? I, two episodes. Of how many? Of four. Oh, all right. Um, Good enough. And, and, and again, like caught some, some highlights. Um, you know, got, got enough to, to get the gist. But what I did do is I spent a lot of time actually reading the study and looking at the supplemental info and looking at the data, I didn't like analyze their data, but I'm so this study underpins the series. Yes. Okay. They were the application for the study that was submitted to the IRB or whatever the institutional re, you know review board or whatever at Stanford that approves the study. You know, because it's a clinical study, they were looking at uh, twenty. Four sets of twins. Is that right? Um, 22 pairs of twins. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. You know. <laughs> so. <coughs> my lungs are going to come out at some point. Um, you know, thanks for really ruining my flow here, Joe. Sorry. Sorry. Um, let's get back into it. Okay. Back to the, the point at hand, <coughs> if you don't mind. You love a good point at hand, don't you? Um, <laughs> we are not coming with anything of value tonight. I'm sorry. You don't think so? Hey, maybe. Carry on. Okay. Now we're gonna have to edit shit, dude. We're. Gonna, I think we should do the whole show over with the two cameras. We want the two cameras. Two cameras. We do want the better. two cameras. It's way better. I agree. So this study underpins the series. What okay. Is, what so did the study. Say? So right from the jump. Okay. They when they applied to do this study. They said, we are doing this with a Netflix documentary, docu-series, whatever the fuck, being filmed concurrently during the eight weeks of this study. And so what they were doing is they got 22 sets of twins, 
identical twins. Most of these twins like live together. You know any identical twins? I do. You do? Yes. Do, are they like the same? Like what? Are they, what's their deal? Do they hang out together? They all the time. Okay. Work together. Mm. Finish each other's sentences. Okay. Yeah. Breakfast. Yeah. Fuck each other's boyfriends. It's, do they really? No. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, maybe I don't know. Actually, I haven't really. Maybe by accident. You don't, you never know. Huh. So, you know, it's a cool. It's a cool population to assess when you look at these. Uh, you know, these longitudinal um, kind of real life clinical trials where they give two different treat. You know, they've got two different treatment groups. So they've got they put half of these twins on a vegan diet and half of them on a, an omnivorous diet. Okay, and their position was that you know they thought that there would be essentially some sort of cardiovascular benefit from the vegan diet and there you know maybe there will be we'll see you know there's there's plenty of evidence out there that suggests that there are some decreased biomarkers that are associated with you know unsaturated fats so the the namely you pretty much expect that ldl is going to come down when you've got a diet that's that has no no animal fats present okay that's like well established nobody's really debating that sure i think the debate is whether or not that actually matters right in the context of everything else that's going on um you know metabolically with your cardiovascular markers with insulin glucose with your weight, you know, what, where with the, your total triglycerides, with your HDL, you know, so there's all these other things that we kind of want to look at in, um, you know, not just in isolation of one another, but we want to look at ratios and like the percentages of time that we're spending in these particular metabolic states. Yeah. And, you know, not to, not, not to get, too far ahead of myself because remember i'm not a doctor so so there's none of this is i don't know if you knew that or not i'm not a medical scholar uh i've only i've, I've got i got kicked out of one graduate program and voluntarily quit another one um you probably know, the best thing that ever happened to you po possibly um have very you know minimal medical training um besides some first aid but been reading papers like this uh you know for professionally and in uh, academic settings for a lot of time for a long time you yeah know? so there's my guess is as good as yours as to like you know what exactly is going on here but i can dissect this and like and look at some some things that you know are worth kind of uh displaying the subtleties of right what were some of the key distinctions or takeaways so, that you got from it so Right from the jump, I see, I recognize some of these authors. Um, you know, some of the people that were PIs and directors um, on this study have a body of work that would typically support a plant-based diet. So up till this point, their hypothesis, uh, you know, across everything that they've done, and, the, and we're talking uh, academic journal publications, we're talking, you know, New York Times bestseller publications, so like the, a, a wide range of, of literature that some of these people have been involved in that um, does have typically positive things to suggest about a plant-based diet. Who are some of the names? Uh, so Justin Sonnenberg, the Sonnenbergs, Erica and Justin, they're, they're awesome. They've, they've done some incredible work. They do a lot of work on, uh, you know, gut-based ecology, the, how diets change microbiomes, um, and some of the intermediate markers that are associated with changes in the microbiome and may have downstream um, correlation with disease. Uh, they've done a lot of work in that space and, and, and are the, the authorities on it. Um, 
that doesn't necessarily mean that everything that they said in the application nor in the the results of this study are looked at under a, a appropriate scope you know the the results of this study are definitely looked at through a a little bit of a bias that that would that would exist so if you look at I mean, look at the principal investigator on here, a guy named Christopher Gardner, who in the conflicts of interest does relay that he's obtained funding from Beyond Meat. Oh. It was funded by uh, the Voight Foundation. Who's that? Which they funded, uh, you remember that Game Changers movie? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So sort of like, plant-based propaganda aimed at athletes, Yep. you know, saying like showing uh, case studies like Arian Foster, whoever, you know, like these, some of these, you know, pro athletes who existed on a plant-based diet, not only just like, I mean, excelled. Yeah. Right. Um, I don't think there was like a lot of follow up on, on that movie. Uh, at least that was, that was positive. It seemed like uh, it kind of, People worked to debunk a lot of those, uh, a lot of game changers positions over the years. You know, everybody's going to have a little different view on whatever your bias is going to confirm or deny. You know, you're going to find a way to kind of unravel it and make it work for whatever choice you're making. For sure. For sure. Um, But that's not, that shouldn't be the goal of of a paper like this. Right. You'd want to present something that's uh that proves your point independent of your biases right right um so when i read the application and saw for you know they said they submitted to the irb and then saw that right from the jump there was it was going to be the subject of a netflix documentary you're automatically kind of you know we you get you get a little bit on edge you know you kind of like well what's what are they going to, I know exactly what the argument here is going to be. I know that we like to, we like to promote a plant-based diet as being, you know, having a lower environmental impact or, you know, having health benefits. And, and I don't, I don't think that that's the, the, the debate here necessarily, because all of that's already been laid out by plenty of people before, you know, what's more interesting is why, the authors choose to address some of the things that they choose to, and then choose to overlook a few of the things that they choose to not pay much attention to, um, why they choose to address certain concerns that, uh, certain concerns while, while, while not looking at others. So like what? Well, the big one that, that stands out is I think, by and large, we can all agree that those on a plant-based diet are likely to need some sort of supplementation like B12. If, if you're on a long-term plant-based diet, you need to figure out a way to get iron. You need to figure out a way to get folic acid. I guess you can get that from some leafy greens, but you do, you do, have a, you do see deficiencies in folate and B12 in a lot of long-term plant-based diets. Like that's most doctors will advise some sort of supplementation long-term. So if we really want to, as the authors are saying here, I mean, they, they specifically state that sometimes a vegan dietary pattern can limit specific nutrients. And so that was something that I would have liked to seen addressed. You know, they don't, they do look at B12 in here, but they seem to look at, be more interested in, just the change in the primary outcome was was lowering the LDL number. So like not the particle size, but just the specific number of the of the LDL. What's the difference between those two? Well, you've got these two different particle sizes, right? You've got the like large buoyant ones, the like fluffy ones, and then you have these small dense particles. Um Again, like I don't want to speak out of turn here, and there's plenty of information that people can go look at, see what the difference between those two are. But they're all but, LDL. But you're more interested in 
in that dense you're more interested in in that particle size less in the specific number okay. so you know the traditional dogma has been that high ldl bad cholesterol ldl is the bad cholesterol hdl is the good cholesterol or whatever right so the typical argument is anytime you see elevated ldl that's that's a bad that's that's going to lead to some sort of cardiovascular event yeah but you have to look at more than just that number you need to be looking at what you know what is your total triglyceride to your hdl ratio typically it's my understanding that when you have an hdl of over 60 you're in pretty good pretty good spot regardless of what your ldl is i think they used to want to really prescribe a lot of statins to lower that ldl number but what we're seeing now with this this phenotype of lean mass hyper responders you're seeing a lot of people who consume a lot of animal fats have sky high ldl numbers um high hdl no evidence of insulin resistance you know fasting glucose below 90 a triglyceride to hdl ratio of 0.5 or even one you know or even two you know like you're seeing you're seeing all of these you know when you have just a number and you're looking at populations like it works for just a a number because a population assuming it's normally distributed is always going to kind of regress to the mean and so what we've done over time is look at look at these numbers and that gives us this normal or low or high right so you go and you get you go to just a normal get a normal blood panel from the doctor who's you know been in the field for 20 30 years or whatever they're going to see on that that printout that has medical coding that's going to be you know assessed a, essentially a fee um, by an insurance adjuster you know when they see normal they're just using population data to assume that normal there's no like optimal or there's no there's very very little tolerance for anything that's that's below or above you know so like this this number is normal but we don't really want normal we want to be much more pointed and we, we want to have a very deep we, have, we want to have more insight well right you know because i mean just intuitively it seems like normal in a population that has a significant amount of metabolic disorder would not be very good it's gonna it's it's changed yeah normal now is different from normal in the 70s for sure. Or the 50s. <laughs> yeah. Or the, or the 30s. Right. Yeah. So you have to kind of kind of look at that. And that's that's something that I would have thought, you know, would be would would be more beneficial for the world to know, you know, specifically. Like this the things that I specifically would have wanted to see that they that they didn't do. So I would want to look, I would want the, the authors to address the triglyceride to HDL ratio change because when you look at their results and you look at that number, um, which is a really solid marker of, of uh, cardiovascular health or like the, the likelihood of a cardiovascular event, um, you actually see that ratio get larger in the vegan population Hmm. Um, granted the change in hdl the change in triglycerides the change in fasting glucose and the change in vitamin b3 levels in the two different groups were non-significant so the only real significant results that they were able to report um, were lowered ldl um, a lowered fasting insulin Um, now mind you both in the vegan and the omnivorous groups, their fasting insulin, both at baseline and after eight weeks of treatment, were still quote unquote healthy. So nobody ever really 
by you know that measure by that own you know that one indicator nobody really became unhealthy yeah per se. yeah um we we also we see you know that they kind of equated so the, again the, the things that were significant change in ldl change in, in fasting insulin and change in weight um so the vegans lost weight i assume yes but the diets weren't isocaloric oh so. meaning <laughs> meaning they, they, yeah. they weren't consuming I mean, the same number of total calories totally what yeah um you know over the course like it's a isn't that a pretty important variable to you would think for? and and they do you know in their defense i mean in the discussion they do uh acknowledge that as a limitation no that is that that they couldn't control each individual subject getting exactly the same number of calories or they couldn't get them within a certain range. So dude, I mean, this is, this is again, like where this whole sort of study design, you, we need more information. So the, like what you can't, so basically what they did when it came to meal time, the first four weeks, they delivered meals to these people. So basically gave them everything that they were going to be eating. Sure. Um, in the second four weeks, they, with coaching and having the benefit of the four weeks of kind of training, you know, these people did have a better understanding of how to prepare meals. You know, they were kind of coached in healthy meal prep. But what exactly that means um, is, is sort of hard to suss out. Even like, I mean, I dug into all the supplemental material um, they, they show a pretty good breakdown of the macronutrient differences. And there's absolutely macronutrient differences between, you know, what the amount of uh, fat, protein, and carbs these people were, were taking in on the two different diets. Um, what was really weird is in the supplemental information, in the fats, uh, the, fat, the fat graphs, so they were looking at, you know, what percentage of the total macronutrient profile made up fat. Um, and in the, uh, the second four weeks, in the, the second four weeks of the diet, in the vegan group, there was a percentage of somebody's fat that was coming from animal fat. So what, what, that, what that said to me was the, the, it's, it's really difficult to control what people are eating outside of the lab, you know, and once you give up the, you know, once you're not delivering them meals anymore and you've sent them out, you know, left them to their own devices to make a meal, to make meals, which, you it's know, like, one well, of I ran out of margarine, so I just had some <laughs> butter and I just used the butter. Yeah. yeah. Like, well, you can't do that. Right. Oops. So, you know, they, they there's not a lot. It, it's, it's what they ate in the, in the, the last four weeks we know that they ate out. Um, yeah, we know they ate out. Uh, the documentary goes into it a little bit about what they're what they're making on their own, but there's nothing in the study about it. Um, you know, there's really there's there's really kind of a, a, a lack of transparency or like when, reporting, self-reporting of like tonight I made this. Right. They they had they had that they had that um, they had systems in, in place to capture this kind of information um it's it's not it's not really read, readily available to to look at so it does make you wonder what what exactly was being what this coaching looked like what they were being told to make what they were doing you know when we're when we're being watched we tend to make better decisions you know the diet overall that, that everybody was eating was typically better or like considered healthier, lacked refined grains, you know, like lacked added sugar. Uh, some of the variables that we can all kind of say like, maybe better. Um, so you've already got kind of all of these inherent biases that are set up to make people make people perform better or 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 you know take better care of themselves or whatever during that study period for sure you've got a really short window to do it you got eight weeks um everybody mo the the biggest feedback on the vegan diet was people weren't satisfied with it 
So the likelihood of satisfied, like, like satiety. Yeah. Like they they yeah. never got full or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. They were like, they, they weren't consuming enough. They didn't enjoy the diet enough. It was really hard for people to, you know, go from an omn- omnivorous diet to a vegan diet during the, the study term and figure out how to appropriately do that. Like when you eat out. Right. Like, <laughs> yeah. Know? How am I supposed to like take the chicken off the salad and then put chickpeas on, but make sure I'm getting enough. Yeah. If you've never done this before, I mean, you have to assume like, obviously these people aren't just like retards, you know, but like you have to assume that, that these people, these folks, you know, are they, they, if you're going to, study a population you know and give them something that's very different from what they've ever done like you really need to like, help them through the whole thing well and if you <laughs> i mean i'm not a scientist mm. in the way that you are but it just seems intuitively to me that if you want to have a really robust result that is that is going to stand up to scrutiny you really do need to as directly as possible control what they eat don't leave them to their own devices and don't let them eat out deliver the meals through the whole duration of the study or or don't do it. Yeah. Right? Is it's, that is that seem to like too much to ask or it's why these kind of studies have such limitations. You know, it's why it's so hard to make any causal inferences even in, you know, a fairly well-designed randomized controlled trial. It's still really difficult for these investigators to to come to any conclusions that are actually going to have, you know, an impact on population or individual health. So their conclusions, they reduced LDL. So, and that was their main, the that main was, impact. That was their main premise. Yeah. What did the documentary report as the, the outcome? So, the well, you'll see the the documentary doesn't actually get to the data until the last episode. Which so you didn't watch, which um, I got <laughs> I got a summary of. Um, the the documentary itself focuses on the pretty standard messaging that you get from that uh, from proponents of of that lifestyle. You know, it's all about environmental impact. I mean, right from the jump, like look at the opening sentence here. Um, Plant-based diets have gained recent popularity, not only for their lower environmental impact compared with an omnivorous dietary pattern, but also for their health benefits. The most significant global health crises affecting our generation are non-communicable diseases and climate change, which are are both inextricably linked to diet. So, impossible to disentangle (laughs) the way way we eat from climate change. Impossible. Wow. Like... I mean, I mean those I'm, are those are fairly like politically and socially charged statements to be starting a seemingly uh you know impartial scientific paper aren't they right and that i mean that, I think that that sent regardless of which side of that argument you're on because they there's benefits for both diets at at different times in people's lives like i you know there's you should be free to eat what you want, you know, first and foremost, <laughs> humans should be free to do what they want. So long as it doesn't hurt anyone. Else. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So there's, there are, uh, you know, I'm not here to like necessarily promote one way or the other. It just seems a little dubious that, you know, they, they frame the argument plant-based diets have gained recent popularity or are they just promoted? You know, as as such. Right. Well, and, and yeah, I guess the question is, if they have gained popularity, well, why? Right. Yeah. So... Is it because they're really palatable and really easy? Because it didn't seem like the subjects of the study thought so. No. And and again, that wasn't like an outcome that, that the investigators were looking for. <laughs> right. <laughs> Good know? on them for reporting it. For reporting it, it yeah. at least. You yeah. know, I mean, there's no... It's all it's all data that can have like have some use. Yeah. But that's 
that's what I, I want to see more of the data that's actually going to, you know, allow people to make some clinical inferences and allow people to be better educated on what is, you know, what one particular intervention is going to potentially do to their health. And, you know, one of the reasons I was really excited about this paper, like the Sonnenbergs do have a, uh, you know, a lot of valuable, uh, you know, a lot of valuable information out there with regards to, again, like I said earlier, the impact of your diet on your microbiome. You know, I wanted to see which they said they were going to give in hopefully a supplemental, uh, you know, supplemental publication. They were going to look at microbial diversity. They're going to look at some, some patterns of change within the microbiome. But that to me is the more cutting edge, the more, you know, the more actually applicable information that could be gleaned with something like this. But they didn't look at that. They didn't release that information. They released the information that, you know, essentially this, this function is a, a press release for, for the, the Netflix documentary, documentary yeah. as opposed to a, a publication that we can use to, I mean, not even like once and for all settle the debate, but at least to actually add some value to the compendium of, of literature that exists to help us better make these decisions for ourselves, to be more informed. Instead, it was seemed it seemed to me that your interpretation is that it had it had some pretty glaring blind spots and biases and, and really on net provided more. Mm, let's just say propaganda than real hard, you know, hard conclusions. I mean, maybe even conclusions that are you know, potentially like dangerous for the population. You know, when we, we tend to conflate the value of, like, of losing weight and better health. You know, that's always, that has been this, this, you know, weight watchers, slim fast, you know, the messaging has always been about losing weight will make you healthy. And in a lot of cases, there is a positive correlation between the two. Well, yeah, if you're 300 pounds and five foot three, you should. Yeah. And this is, you know, this is kind of. This line of thinking has led way, has like led into, you know, this healthy at all sizes kind of argument, um, which you can have. I mean, have you heard of Tofi? Thin on the outside, fat on the inside? No. You know, you've got subcutaneous fat, which is just like, you know, the what you can pinch. Um, you know, just like the fat that hangs out. And then you have visceral fat, which, um, you know, gathers around your organs. And a lot of times you can outwardly appear thin and have this hiding visceral fat that is really like wreaking havoc metabolically, but your perception, like, you know, people would perceive you as being healthy. You might think you, you know, that it, it might cause you personally to to overlook something that's that's worth assessing. Likewise, you can have you know metabolically healthy obese people. It's it, it, this is a thing, sure. You know, so the like healthy at all sizes argument like does hold up in certain cases, but when you kind of make it when you frame it as sort of like a a weight inclusive paradigm you know, where you're looking at not necessarily because like whatever you do, whatever kind of we're on a journey, right? This isn't like necessarily I need to get to this goal. And when you put lowered weight as your goal, you get there and, and then what, you know, like, is it, is that the end? Is it, have you, did you win? <laughs> you know, like, yeah, yeah. like, are you going to, 
get to that goal and and then let your your willpower down and 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 yo-yo right back to the old weight at some point in time you know does does having does does giving people the idea that losing weight is you know should be held on this this high pedestal because you know lots of times that argument gives way to like substance abuse you know or relying on things like Ozempic or Wigovi or whatever you know to to get you to this end point when really we're all on a journey and you know we're looking to essentially like be as free from disease for as long as as we can yeah you know not like I need to be 150 pounds for as long as I can. Right. <laughs> you know, because the, the, w- the, in the supplemental data, the, the, this is something that wasn't looked at. Like they didn't look at this, but you would, you'd want to know lean muscle mass. Like if you're going to look at, you know, these dietary, you're going to look at changes physically, you know, phenotypic changes. I mean, we can assess lean muscle mass. We can assess body fat. You know, they certainly can at Stanford. <laughs> yeah, I, I <laughs> you, know? Hope. you know, they've probably got some really robust tools. For sure. Um, and you know, wouldn't even need, you know, like you can still get, you know, close enough results with, with easily accessible equipment. But they, they could have looked at those kind of things. So how do we know in this significant difference of weight loss Again, in, in a study where the diets were not isocaloric, meaning there were less calories consumed on the vegan diet than the omnivorous diet. How do we know that, in fact, the vegan diet had a better health outcome just because they lost weight? Because in that fourth episode, they do compare twins and they do show lean muscle mass. They do show it on TV and they, they, you can do the math yourself and real, like you can see on the screen that the vegan diet lost lean muscle mass compared to the omnivorous diet. They, so they did take a baseline. They did, but it's not in this paper. What? It's not in this paper. And, you know, part of that is because they, which the paper is going to be used to dictate policy. Yeah, <laughs> you know the TV show is used for you know to sway public opinion. Exactly. Yeah. You know, nair should the two the two like shouldn't you know have? I mean, I guess they they you know have different audiences, but the outcome affects the audience. Yes. You know, from a from a public policy standpoint, for sure. Um, and that to me is, is really, you know, just again, hang up any of the arguments pro or con a plant-based diet, you know, hang up, you know, some of these, um, particular biomarkers that are certainly open for debate as to, you know, what, if any impact they have, um, take away all of that, like take the emotion out of it and just kind of investigate a little deeper like what the function of these different pieces of media are and how they function together to sway public opinion and what and where the money's coming from again like that's what do they want you to believe at the mm -hmm. end of the day yep very interesting stuff thanks for breaking all that down yeah i mean you know there's more subtleties to that conversation that, that people can 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 dig into and, and I think that's the point of what we're doing here is not I mean this sounds like kind of like a cop out but like I, I don't have any of the answers so like I'm just, we're just let's just pose some questions <laughs> you know let's just I'm leave just asking yeah. questions. <laughs> okay okay Griff. no I mean I think I think it's it's fair though uh I, I think for anyone to say that they know for a fact that a given diet or lifestyle will work better for everyone than something else is disingenuous because humans are unique and there are people like, you know, 
the athletes and game changers who thrive on a plant-based diet and there are people who don't and you know it's it's a little it's a tough pill to swallow for me for policymakers to use research and conclusions like this to try to make broad sweeping generalized guidelines for what is healthy for humans as a whole when they can't possibly understand all the nuance. They can't possibly prescribe something broad and sweeping for everyone because people are so different. And really at the end of the day, I don't think that, that they probably even think that they can, but it's not about doing what's best for people. I don't think at the end of the day, I think their motivations are inherent in the first three sentences that you read. They want to do what's best for climate change. You know, people's health be damned. If it's better for climate change that you eat kale and not beef, well, sorry, there goes your beef. Which, if we, you know, and again, the, all of those arguments, both pro and con, are available for the picking for anybody to watch. You know, I believe that people who, with the 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 most well-intentioned of plant-based folks and the most well-intentioned of the carnivore crowd probably have this very there's probably a lot of overlap for sure you know if 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 you were to to really dig in to people that actually did follow a plant-based diet that was m- I mean, I, for lack of a better word, followed regenerative agriculture practices. You know, like you can do that both with a plant-based and an animal-based diet. You know, so we, I think we, we all, I think there are a lot of people who have a similar ethical um, compass that's pointing one way. It's just not how most everybody is fed, and and it and it does tend to kind of overlook the you know social determinants of diet um you know which are valid you know there's there are the 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 documentary talks a lot about food deserts of course you know this these things do exist but you know the definition of a food desert is i believe it's 1.5 miles or greater you live 1.5 miles or greater from a, a super center like a walmart you know, like a, or, you know, a grocery store that has the same kind of options that a Walmart would like so many, like I live in a food desert out in four corners, you know, because you're like six miles from a grocery store or something. Right? Yeah. But I do have, I've got three gas stations. Um, you know, one of which does have a like little mini grocery store. Yeah, I mean, you can you can get ground beef, you can get eggs, markets. you know, you can yeah, exactly. There's the, um, you know, the Mexican food market. There's primal. There's primal. Yeah, you know, primal is like, I mean, that's going to be out of reach, you know, for most people. Financially, sure. like just from an economic standpoint, you can't like be tough to grocery shop at primal. Yeah. But, but I guess what I'm getting at, like, I mean, there's there's the you know there's several restaurants around there where you can if you ch- if you so choose can eat better off the menu you know if you so choose you can buy the whole potatoes carrots guacamole ground beef eggs at that are available at town pump but we don't because it, it's not like a matter of availability or even cost because those things are pretty accessible at that town pump but they're not promoted. They're not marketed. Well, they're, they're not, not just that, though, Griff. They're not hyper-palatable. Right. They're not full of sugar and salt and, you know, super crispy and amazing to chew and experience as a whole, you know, as a whole experience, really. They're boring. They're just normal foods. So I think that that's probably one factor. People are so desensitized, really, by the things that are just so incredibly flavorful um that they don't you don't want to go back to the boring stuff right makes sense until you do 
until you start, uh, until you, you do get into it, oh, like sure. until it becomes what you eat and then it's just what you eat and you go about your day and you function, you add more to this world that's um, in terms of importance and benefit for humankind than like what, you know, just what your lunch was, you know, yeah, like, for like sure. if the, the food, the calories, like there's, it's just information, you know, it's just, it's, it's energy. It's just fuel. It's what we need to, you know, to in order to make it so that we can go out and do great things for other people. For sure. You know? So if you begin to sort of look at it through that lens where, like, yes, it can be, I mean, again, this isn't meant to, like, strip all pleasure from life. <laughs> like the plain salt element <laughs> yeah uh, it's not but but it's also the you can't say like our lives are enriched because we have 8,000 neon colored options of you know different hard soft chewy sour sweet brightly colored packaged candies available eat like is that really like bringing a ton of value to the world i mean i mean it really it's it's incredibly subjective you can't say one way or another but i would say that even a kid who wants to eat nothing but reese's peanut butter cups eventually gets a stomach ache and goes oh i want some real food you know and then they go and have some real food and they feel good so like even the most susceptible uh, people within society to the the allure of hyperpalatable foods do still have a bit of a compass that does still still work for them to find their way. So but does go ahead. Sorry, I was just gonna. You, you, I wanted to go back to something you said earlier about people who are on a vegan lifestyle and people who are on a carnivore lifestyle, but both subscribe to regenerative ag practices have more in common, and that draws a distinction between regenerative ag and sort of industrialized monocrop um, agriculture or, or um, concentrated feedlot uh, agriculture, you know, raising animals that way. Would you say that the problem is less, the environmental problem with food is less what exactly you're eating, plants versus animals, versus the way that they're being raised well that's going to be so many people you know the other the other like big side of that argument is everybody who it like let's say it's not about nutrition for you let's say it's it's about a you know preservation of 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 the species you know preserve like trying to avoid animal cruelty well when you're if you don't take the more intentional route with how you source your food or how your food is grown, then you're just buying into the normal, normal kind of monocrop monocropped, um, supply chain, which is in and of itself completely devoid of biodiversity. You know, all the birds are gone. All of the rodents are gone. You know, all just of it, 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 fertilizer and pesticide know? or whatever. Yeah. So like, where did they, like something had to, there's every, every gimme's for every gimme, there's a gotcha, you know, you don't get that, that you don't, unless you're really living that intentional way, which is not how most of us are, you know, whether we, we, we think that the product we're buying is you know, comes from some idyllic pasture, you know, more often than not, we've seen, we've got like a, you know, let's say just a carton of eggs that you're going to buy anywhere. Maybe it says like pasture raised. What does that mean exactly? What are they fed? All of, all of this stuff is, is everybody's had these arguments before, but it's just something that's so easy to overlook for the vast majority of the, you know, 350 million people here. You know, most people, if they, especially if, if you, the people that we're concerned about who, you know, are suffering the most from these social determinants of health 
are the ones that are probably least likely to have ever even heard of regenerative agriculture. You know, they're probably the folks that are the most likely that, that you know, are the most likely to have to shop, uh, you know, at a place that only has hyper palatable food. And it's never really been showed another way. So how many of those people are reading this or like, you know, maybe I don't know how many of those people are watching the Netflix documentary. How many of those people, how many of those people would struggle to put together, you know, any kind of semblance of a nutritious diet of a, of a nutritious vegan based diet, live, you know, plant-based diet living in a food desert. Like it's one thing to get, you know, beef jerky and like, you know, just processed meat that's, that's less than, uh, you know, that's not of the highest nutritive standpoint, but yeah. Like what if, what if all you could get was what crackers and I mean, you'd have a really tricky time eating a plant-based diet, living in a food desert, which the movie likes to really point out is a big problem. So, there's got to be some consistency here in the, you know, how you, you kind of string together the points of evidence that kind of add up to a, this this whole thing. And that's why it's maybe spread across multiple episodes to give them a long time to tell that story and a long enough time in between for people to forget about whether or not there's actually whether that impact is actually a, a you know worth considering in their in their daily life. Yeah. Fascinating. Mhm. So with that I think we will tuck ourselves in to bed. Bid you all a good night. Perhaps if you've made it this far, you go ahead and like and subscribe. <laughs> and share the show with your friends. <laughs> and don't forget to hit that notification bell so you never miss an episode. <laughs> Thanks for watching.